Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of Heart to Heart with Anna. We are in Season 10 of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme is Education for Heart Warriors this season, and today's show is Moving from High School to Adulthood. Kathy Keller is mom to Garrett, aged 20, whose congenital heart defect journey has been complex. He was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, or HLHS, and due to Fontan complications, had a major stroke, leaving him cognitively impaired with minimal use of his right arm. At 13, Garrett developed plastic bronchitis and was listed for a heart transplant. He was fortunate to receive the gift of a new heart when he was 14. Unfortunately, his transplant was complex and he had another stroke. The second stroke left him with post-pump chorea, a rare movement disorder, and dysarthria, a neurological speech impairment. In spite of all this, Garrett has done amazingly well, but due to the severity of his brain injuries, he will require lifetime support. At age 18, Kathy and her husband obtained full guardianship of Garrett, and they continue working to ensure his future security, utilizing special needs financial planning. Garrett's new heart is doing great. Kathy is grateful for the opportunity to plan for his future. So welcome back to Heart to Heart with Anna, Kathy. Thank you. Happy to be here again. Well, some of you may remember Kathy. She came on and talked about heart transplants, and then she talked about living with neurological impairment. And so here we are today talking about moving to adulthood. Can you believe we've known each other this long, Kathy? I know. Anna was the first person I met in HLHS world. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. Wow. I feel yeah. so honored. <laughs> wow. Well, so tell us how Garrett's heart is doing today, because I know with transplant, this is something that has to be monitored all the time. Yeah, when you have a heart transplant, it's not a cure. The doctors always tell you you're trading one set of problems for another set of things, and you do. But at the same time, Garrett is in great shape. He's doing very well. His heart is really good. You know, with transplant comes some complications that you keep watching for, and he's had some. I mean, he has had some stomach issues. The amount of medication can really affect the stomach. So we've Mm -hmm. had some things to deal with there. And he's got some odd lymph nodes that we're keeping an eye on. But all in all, he is really doing quite well. I'm so happy to hear that. Can you tell us about Garrett's current neurological and cognitive functioning? 
Yeah, the neurological and cognitive people say that's what I deal with on a day-to-day basis. The heart stuff is always there, Mm -hmm. but every day is the neurological stuff and the cognitive stuff. You know, he continues to be Garrett. He (laughs) has cognitive issues. He will always have cognitive issues, but it's not like his development has stopped. Even though he's 20, we still see signs of things improving. He's never going to be independent, but you continue to see things evolve. So when someone has cognitive impairment, it doesn't stop them. They just are different, you know. He still has hemiparesis. He can only use one arm and he walks with a limp and he still has the movement disorder. And that's probably the thing that gets in the way more than anything else in terms of his independence is the movement disorder, which is the post-pump chorea. And, you know, he moves large. He's a big kid. He's a 200-pound young man. Wow. And he has this movement disorder and it, it breaks things, honestly. He breaks chairs, no. um, you know. Chairs. Yeah, break bones. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, furniture, it's very, it's a lot of torque when a 200-pound person does it. It's full body movement. And he breaks bones. He broke his foot this year, oh. and he has stress fractured his back from it. Oh, so those wow. are some of the things that we're really dealing with. Yeah, that's really big. Stress fractured his back. So does that mean he has to wear a brace or... Some kind of support? Uh, not at this point. Right now, they're doing cortisone shots. Back surgery is kind of out of the question with the movement disorder. We will cross all those bridges later. Right now, we're dealing with cortisone shots, and that seems to give him some relief. Well, that is good, because I'm sure you're limited in some ways on the medications that he can take even. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a lot to deal with, Kathy. What kind of special... Yes, he is complex. Yeah, I think that goes without saying. We, how many times have we said the word complex already? <laughs> okay, so what kind of services does he receive right now? Because now he's not in public school anymore, right? He's not. We're in the middle of the transition, honestly. He graduated in June, and so we're really proud of him for that. And he was getting a lot of his services through school. So we're really in the process of moving him into the adult services and working with the school in the county to make that happen. He does have a waiver. They're called different in every state. Here it's the developmental waiver. So he is on that program, which gets him some support for an aid and also is very timely because it does give him some employment support opportunities as well, which we can now use. That's wonderful. And I know that when he was in high school, he was doing some job preparation training. Isn't that right? Yeah. He was in a self-contained program in high school, and the focus was some academic, but primarily it was about life skills and work skills. They taught him how to work in the copy center and how to deliver things and basic kind of job things. So it was a great program. It really served him well. We did have the opportunity to decide. He could have stayed there for another year because you can stay till you're 21 in special needs, but we decided he'd gotten everything he can out of that program. So we are moving forward. So even though he received most of his special services from the schools, you didn't feel that he was benefiting enough to keep him in that program? He just wasn't able to advance more. I mean, he was mm. doing everything that mm-hmm. they were asking him to do, and he was bored. Oh, and that's not good. And it just really was time. And the other reason why, which has nothing to do with Garrett's health, is he has a younger brother who's graduating high school next year. Oh. And rather than have them both graduate the same year, we thought it would be good to graduate Garrett this year. Yeah. And let him have his own graduation. You well, know? and that's what I was going to say. I love how you 
look at Garrett and his special needs, but in light of society at large and what we do here in the United States. It may be different in other countries. In fact, it probably is different in other countries. But here, there can be a social stigma to being, quote unquote, held back or held from graduating with people your age. And as it is, he graduated at 20 instead of at 18. But to graduate with your little brother, I can see where that might not be optimal. And so it sounds like he really got a lot of good training while he was in school. I was really impressed when you came on the show last time and were telling us some of the things that he was able to do. It sounds like he has a good work ethic. And I know people with healthy hearts without neurological problems who don't necessarily have a good work ethic. Yeah. What Garrett wants more than anything is a job. Yeah. And that's, that's one of our big goals. Well, good. Well, we'll talk more about that in the next segment. So thanks for sharing what you have so far. Stay tuned, friends. We are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll talk to Kathy about helping to transition Garrett to a new environment. Hopefully, we'll be talking about a work environment. And we'll be right back after this break. The most common theme that I hear is why. She always needed a lot of attention. She had strokes. Even though it's a natural inclination to withdraw from the CHD community, I think being a part of it to help me be part of the solution. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern. I'm Michael Lieben, and I'll be your host as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today, we're talking to Kathy Keller. She's a heart mom and guardian to her heart warrior, Garrett. And we just finished talking with Kathy about how Garrett is functioning now and what services he receives. And now we're going to talk a little bit more about the transition. This is the big part of the show. This is the meat of the show. What options are there, Kathy, for children with neurological problems after they age out of public school? It varies. I mean, it varies by state. It varies by county. It truly does vary. There's no national program for what happens out of public school. But one thing I will say that is consistent and your school should be doing is starting that preparation a couple years before it happens. So they should start pulling in the folks from the county or town, depending on what structure. In our case, it was county, early into the meetings so that they can get to know your child and get to know their abilities a little more and start to really think through what are the possibilities for them. And you need to think about it in terms of employment, leisure activities, 
transportation, assisted living maybe someday, all kinds of things that are out there that the county may offer or at least know about to refer you to. It is not an easy transition. And I'd love to tell people that people are lining up at your door to help you with your neurological adult. They are not, um, at least not in Virginia. (laughs) So you're dealing with a situation where you've got some scarce resources available to you. Now for Garrett, we do have a care coordinator because he is on the waiver program. And we are actually in the process of changing that. So that's an important piece to have is have that care coordinator. It's part of having the waiver that it's required actually in Virginia. And wait, wait, wait. Him- what's, what's a waiver program? I've never heard of that before. Typically, in order to access services through the county, you need to be part of a waiver and different states have different names for it. Okay. Um, in Virginia, it's the developmental waiver that Garrett is on. They just redid the whole waiver program. He used to be on the elderly and disabled waiver program. The waiting list in some states is extremely long. We were very blessed in that we had someone tell us very early to get on the waiting list and we spent oh, eight wow. years. Eight years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember us talking about that before. So when you said it's important to have the county people involved in the meetings, are you talking about the ARDs or the annual meetings that you have at school? IEPs, yep. And in that way, they can have some input on the individualized education plan for that student that might gear them toward a better placement when they are finished with high school. Right. That's right. And they may decide that it's the right thing is to steer towards the appropriate program for that particular level of care that's needed. So having the waiver gets us access to the employment programs, to respite programs for adults, to all kinds of things. I always feel very bad when I find out about people who have 16 year olds and they say, what's a waiver? Right. Well, this is something I had not heard about before. Luckily, my son doesn't have that kind of neurological impairment. And so we haven't had to look into that. But it sounds to me like this is something that even maybe as early as elementary school, absolutely, you need to be thinking about this and possibly already putting your name on the wait list. That's amazing that those waiting lists can be that long. It varies state to state. In Virginia, it was very long. And we put Garrett on the waiting list when he was 10. Wow. Okay. So that's usually fifth grade. Although for some of our kids who may be held back a little bit, it could be younger than that. So you really need to be aware of that. Now, what teachers or professionals might cue a parent into knowing about this, Kathy? A special needs teacher should tell you. Okay. In our case, we work with Brain Injury Services of Northern Virginia, and they told us. And facilitated it. And it helps to have a facilitator. These laws vary from state to state and from what you're saying, maybe even county to county. And I'm sure they're changing all the time. So as a parent, it would be tough to be in the know with all of that information. That's right. And a lot of it is block granted to the states, which is why it varies. So the states kind of decide their programs. Okay, that makes sense. What special considerations should parents think about as they're preparing their children to leave public school? Yeah, so we were talking about the waiver. My first note that I wrote here is think way ahead. Don't be thinking (laughs) about it when you're preparing them to leave school. Okay. (laughs) That is too late. (laughs) You need to start much earlier than that and work with the school. If there's a waiver waiting list, get on it. Even if you don't really know what's going to be required down the road, they revisit it and redo it. You can't just get on the list. You have to be able to prove that you have a neurological issue that's going to require support. For Garrett, that was obvious. Some kids may be on the line, and, and that does depend. But prior 
absent the waiver, a couple years ahead of graduation, they should be starting to bring the county in, assuming that level of support is going to be needed. Um, if that's not needed, then it's just a normal graduation, really. A couple years in, they started bringing in, they did some assessments, they did employment assessments and things like that to try to figure out what the right thing is. And I would kind of just a little bit of caution on some of these assessments, which we learned the hard way, is they came in and they did an employment assessment on Garrett when he was 16. And him at 16 is different than him at 19 or 20. True. So really have to kind of stay on them to redo those things because mm, things do change. Right. At that point, they said he was going to be uneligible to work. We've gone back and said, well, let's do this again. Right, <laughs> and, because he know. has a work history now in the schools mm-hmm. because he was That's working right. in a copy office. So clearly he isn't ineligible to work. He's proving that he's trainable Yeah. And I don't think they were wrong at the time. I just think it was a point in time. Right. Right. Okay. So that's good. So we need to really focus on continued assessment starting early. It sounds like if there's anything people should take away from this interview with you, Kathy, it's that you need to get started sooner. Yes. And our county has a program. I actually hate the name of it. It's so negative. It's called When the Bus Stops Coming, which to me just sounds very ominous. What it really is, is it's a workshop they do once a year. So look and ask in your county, do they do this? Mm-hmm. And basically all the different service providers come in and it's like a little fair. And mm-hmm. you go through and you find out what's out there and what's available. And they do speaking so that they kind of teach you what this takes. And we went to it, actually, we've been to it three times because it takes more than once to right. kind of really understand. Well, so and especially for like Garrett, that. Garrett's going to need repetition to help him really process that, right? Yeah, he came last time, but we started with just us scoping. So that you could scope out what services were available and what you would need to do to help Garrett get there? Mm-hmm, exactly. Okay, so Garrett's 20 now. So I guess he was actually 19 when he graduated, right? No, he turned 20 in April. Oh, he turned so 20. Okay. He just graduated, yes. So he was 20 when he graduated. So did he receive a high school diploma, a GED, or a special certificate upon graduation? I don't know how it is in other parts of the country, but our county has like five different kinds of diplomas that these kids can get. It's wildly (laughs) complicated. (laughs) Garrett got basically a participation certificate. He has to be able to pass certain standard tests in order to get a diploma, even a lower diploma. And he was able to actually pass eighth grade reading, which is a small miracle. That's Um, wonderful. No, that's actually really wonderful. Math is a big no. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, he never got past like the second grade in math. He can do basic addition and subtraction and things like that. But Roy said, if if I had to choose one, it would be reading because calculators work fine. (laughs) You just have to know what numbers to push into the calculator. So there still has to be some math knowledge. Well, they're very good. And so that's part of the whole process that you're going through is determining what assist devices he'll need. And clearly, if he's dealing with money, he's going to need a calculator. That's right. As do many other people without neurological problems. That's exactly right. So, and that, that's part of the things the school has helped us with and the county helps us with is looking at what can he do, what can he do, what's reasonable, what's not. Okay. Well, that's terrific. And this is a good place for us to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Kathy about how she's transitioned Garrett's cardiac care and who she has helping him to act as an advocate. We'll be right back after this quick break. When I saw so many of these CHG groups growing, I found family just ready to join me. 
anyone who is a member of the adult congenital heart defect community can be a guest on our show. We have a great year planned and we look forward to sharing other interesting topics. Heart to Heart with Nicole and David serving the ACHD community Wednesdays at noon Eastern. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Today we're talking with Kathy Keller about transitioning her heart warrior, Garrett, after leaving high school. Now, in this last segment, we're going to talk to Kathy about transitioning Garrett's cardiac care, if she is transitioning it. There are many things that need to be learned when our heart warriors become adults. And when that adult has cardiac and neurological considerations, it can be so much more complicated. Here we go again with the word complex, Kathy. Yeah. So <laughs> has Garrett's cardiac care had any changes since he aged out of high school? Well, we know he just aged out just recently, but how about since he became 18? Yes, we don't go to CHOP anymore. Really? No, we do not. We do not go to the pediatric hospital. I don't know who that was harder on, me or Garrett. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. Uh, That's honestly a tough transition because you've grown up with them, with the people who have taken care of them, especially Mm -hmm. if your child's had heart issues since birth. You know them, you trust them. Yes. And all of a sudden they're gone. Mm -hmm. And they worked on a transition. Garrett transitioned from CHOP to HUP, um, the Hospital University of Pennsylvania. Even though we live in Virginia, he still goes there. You know, it was difficult. We had to prepare him for it. And I honestly think regardless of whether he had neurological issues or not, we still would have had to prepare him for that. Sure. And then you move into an adult setting. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that adult setting, and this is where I think the neurological stuff comes in, you have to make sure those adults understand that they're dealing with someone with cognitive issues. Yes. You know, I was very, very concerned about that. But then they did tell me, they're like, Kathy, remember that they deal with elderly people and elderly people uh, have Alzheimer's. Right. And so they're not completely unaware. Right. So, and that helped. And we have found they've actually been really good. So there's a big movement lately that we actually have cardiologists who are trained to work with adults with congenital heart disease, which I'm just thrilled that there's actually a certificate now and people can be trained. But I imagine it's even a greater subspecialty to work with adults with congenital heart defects and neurological impairment. Is there a specialist that he sees who is like that? Or is this once again, where it's just general knowledge? No. And that's actually one of the things we miss a lot from CHOP is because they were so multidisciplinary there. We did have a neurologist who specialized in cardiac kids. Yeah. And we don't have that anymore. But I will say I reach back to that doctor (laughs) and we have a good relationship and he does help. Now, Garrett's a transplant patient, so he doesn't need the adult congenital heart disease because right. transplants on adults. That said, there are some differences when you go from a congenital heart defect to a transplant, rather than just having an adult transplant because of heart failure. So I, I watch okay. it and you know, we talk about it. So does the cardiologist TC specialize in pediatric no. transplantation? Because no. I imagine that's different. It is a little different. The protocols are different for kids. You go from having a cast once a year to check on the heart, to only having a cast if they think there's a problem. 
So kind of it's like, well, that's great. You don't have to have a cast. But at the same time, there's some level of comfort in making sure everything's well, looked yeah. at every year. Now, I'm sure so. he's still getting echocardiograms and yes. EKGs, oh, yeah. though. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's going without any kind oh, no, of diagnostic no, no. testing, but it's just not invasive. And for a kid like Garrett especially, I imagine it makes life a little bit easier for you. It does. It does. And actually, most adult cardiac patients do their casts for their biopsies awake. Right, uh, which is, yeah, and so then you have anesthesia considerations, which can be worrisome. So if you don't have to go under, that's always better than if you do. So I, it sounds to me like they're taking care of him the best they can in a minimally invasive manner. They are, and they've been good. I mean, I don't want to say that they've done a great job. It's just a big change. It is a big change. And like you said, I think it's more of a change for us parents in some ways. Of course, it's a change for the kids, but you would expect that. But for us parents, that's a huge support system. And you have described the same kind of situation that I'm in. Even though my son doesn't have neurological impairment, we develop a relationship with these doctors after seeing them for so many years. And thankfully, Alex has given his doctor permission to share information with me and to answer any questions if I have any questions. So he still takes emails from me, which I really, really appreciate because you know me, I'm always doing research and talking to people and finding out things. And then I have a million questions. And I try not to bombard him with as many questions as I did when he was young, but you know, there are liver things now and other considerations that I feel need to be addressed. And it's nice to know that I can still reach out to that doctor. And it sounds like you can also reach out to the doctor, even though you're at a totally different hospital. Yes. So one of the things that we briefly talked about in this show, but we talked about in more depth in one of our other shows, was that of guardianship. So can you tell our listeners today, in case they haven't listened to that other episode, what is guardianship and why you have guardianship over Garrett? So we have legal guardianship. And again, it's a little different in every state. In the state of Virginia, you can have full legal guardianship or you can actually have financial guardianship. You can actually have healthcare guardianship. We have full guardianship just because Garrett cognitive issues are just such that he can't make the decisions himself. And with his dysarthria, with his speech disorder, people have a hard time understanding him if they don't talk to him all the time. So right. so we do that. And you were talking about how you had get special permission to have access. And I think a lot of part parents struggle when their kids turn 18 because all of a sudden they don't have access and they need that access. It probably sounds like a horrible thing to say, but I don't have to go through that part. <laughs> so you I'm have complete access because you're still in charge. I mean, yes. there's an upside and a downside to that. The upside is... There's an upside to everything, well, right, right? The upside <laughs> is continuity of care. You're still the one in charge of his records. You know his history better probably than anyone aside from his doctor, and maybe even better than his doctor, since you had to switch to a new doctor who hasn't been with him all his life. Nobody knows Garrett like you do. And so that continuity of care is critical, I think, to having a good outcome. That said... Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'd love for him to be independent right. someday. That's that's but sad, at the yes. same time, I just don't have to, people talk about that transition and it's like, that's one I don't relate to. Yeah, that's one that you don't have to worry about. However, there is a lot of complex processes that have to be gone through in order to get the guardianship. Isn't that true? That is true. You have to apply for guardianship in the state of Virginia. They assigned Garrett, an attorney, it's called a guardian ad litem, and then they basically, that 
attorney will basically call the schools, call different people, they called my parents, and just basically assess whether you truly need guardianship or is there something nefarious going on where we're trying to take his independence. And I think that comes from people really trying to do maybe not such good things for elderly. It's the same process. So we went through that and it wasn't a big deal. We had to go to court. We had to stand in front of a judge and the judge asked, do you understand what you're getting into? Which was pretty funny. (laughs) We were like, (laughs) yep, we got it. You know exactly what it's like. And it's expensive. It was expensive for us in Virginia because we did have to hire our own attorney as well Mm -hmm. and pay that attorney and court fees and other things. But the advantage is that you can visit the doctor with Garrett. You can make those decisions for him. And if you didn't have guardianship, wouldn't the state actually assume responsibility for him? Absent a guardian, yes. Right. You really had to. A parent almost has to apply for guardianship. So now let me ask you, are both you and Dennis co-guardians or is it just one of you? And if something happens to one of you, does the other one have to apply to be his guardian? No, we're both guardians. So they allowed both parents to be the guardians. I'm just finishing working on getting wills. My will's updated because now both of my children are adult-aged, and so things have changed. And I don't have to worry about who will take my children now if something should happen to my husband and me. But that's a real consideration for you, isn't it? Yes, it is. We have our wills set up, and we have a special needs trust set up for Garrett. And we have a life insurance policy that we pay, which is a joint survivorship policy, which is basically the last of Dennis and I to pass away. His special needs trust will get funded so that he will have assets, but they're not assets that count towards his services. They're just assets to assist him to live. And then we have people who are executors of that and will become his guardians. So it's worrisome. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, nobody wants to think about what's going to happen when you're gone. But especially when you're dealing with the next generation, and this is whether your child has a neurological impairment or a heart impairment or anything, you still need to think about your progeny and you want to think about how you can leave this world a little better place than what it was before you entered it. But I think it's much more worrisome when you're afraid that the people that you're leaving behind may not be able to take care of themselves as well as they were taken care of when you were there. That's right. But Garrett has a brother who's two years younger, who knows how to take care of Garrett, knows Garrett's medications, knows everything. And actually at this point, if Dennis and I need to go somewhere, Matthew is able to do everything. I think that's wonderful. And it speaks highly of you that he's willing to do something like that. Yeah, he's a good kid. You've done a great job. Well, this was really informative. Thank you so much for coming back on this show, Kathy. Oh, you're welcome. It was great to talk to you. I always enjoy talking to you. Well, I always enjoy talking to you, too. That does conclude today's episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please find and like us on Facebook and check out our new website. It's at www.hugpodcastnetwork.com. We now have more than one show. There's Heart to Heart with Anna and Heart to Heart with Michael for the bereaved community and Heart to Heart with Nicole and David for the adult community. So please remember, my friends, you are not alone. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. 
If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.